0: happy all the time to be faithful. You don't have to be joyous all the time to come to church. And a lot of times we have that misconception that in order to be a church goer, in order to come to church, we have to put our smile on, our best Sunday clothes, and be happy and exuberant and ready to what? Praise God. Even the word praise sounds like I need to be jumping up and down. I need to be smiling. I need to be laughing. And when someone says, how are you doing? I'm great! I'm great! Like, I always kind of detest, I don't detest it, but sometimes I get annoyed by the question, how are you doing? Because the only response is, fine, I'm good. Because really, if I'm really to say, honestly, That fine would be the response. And oftentimes we live in the lie of fine. Mm. We say we're good. We say we're fine. Because that's what uh, the world, the society, the culture expects of us. That's all that people can take sometimes in a busy world, in a world where you, you gotta be independent, you gotta be self sufficient, right? You can't be too needy. Otherwise, we're going to leave you in the dust. We're going to leave you behind. Other we don't have time for that. Or you're the awkward person. But following Jesus and worshiping God isn't just about pleasantries. There is a big section in the Bible, in the middle of your Bible, called the Psalms. And it's a bunch of poetry. It's actually praise music, worship music. Most of them written by King David, but also other psalmists who are writing in verse in the style of poetry to give praise and worship to God. But on a Sunday, all across the nation, you don't usually see pastors preaching out of the psalms. Usually where you see the psalms in the worship service is what? During a a communal scripture reading, during a call to worship, some sort of liturgy, but not in the actual teaching. And the reason for this, I think, is in the American church, in the West, we're really focused on breaking things down, right? When we say, oh, that's a good preacher, that's a good sermon, we're talking about someone who took the passage and just broke it down. Here's the Greek, or here's the Hebrew, and let me tell you the five points that come out of this passage, and let me tell you the deep cultural context where this passage is coming from. Now, Paul is saying this right, come to church like at school and be given a lecture huh? but the Psalms are way more raw in that than that they come in a form that's not good for necessarily teaching or explicating they come in poetic artistic form and, and a form that's really raw in its emotions are you with me church Yes. Yeah. in the Psalms you can see the psalmist Even being angry at God. Even saying, God, why have you forsaken me? God, why are you silent? God, where were you? I'm mad, I'm sad. My enemies are chasing me. My enemies are saying bad things about me. People are talking about me. People are gossiping. go down the street where I can sit and just be anonymous. But maybe we would actually be more real. We would actually draw closer together and be a tighter, more real community. And I think there ought to be room for that in the worshiping body. That this is actually what the Psalms model for us in terms of what is worship. How are we to come into the temple? We come into the temple with all that we are and all of who we are, right? In the rawness of our energy and emotion, right? Whether we're doing well or we're not doing well. We say this, you know, when two people get married and commit to each other for the rest of their life, they don't just say what in their commitment, in their covenant. They don't just say, I'm going to be married to you only when you're happy. Only when you're doing well. Only when you're looking pretty in the morning. Right? Only when you're not passing gas or burping or being rude or not picking up your clothes. Right? From, and not putting things in the hamper. Only in the good times and the pleasant times am I supposed to be faithful to you. No. What do people say in their vows when they get married? In sickness and health. and good and bad. Right? Through thick and thin. Till death do us part. Please, hot fast. No. Um.
1: Oh.
0: And <laughs> sickness and health and good and bad, right, through thick and thin, that's where the commitment comes. And we know that we serve a God who doesn't just come to us or who doesn't just love us or doesn't just embrace us when we're doing well, right, when we're smiling, when we're happy. But we serve a God who embraces us when we're not doing well. Who hears our cries, right? When there's tears in our eyes. And listens to us and delivers us when we need healing, when we need restoration, when we need deliverance. That's our God. Our God knows and understands. Jesus, and that that was Easter, right? We don't serve a Jesus who isn't disconnected, who's disconnected from our experience. We worship a Jesus who's connected to the human experience. That's why you walked on earth, amen? amen. Jesus knows when you are sick and you're frustrated because your body can't do the things it used to do. Or now you need help for to do the simple activities that you used to do on your own. Jesus knows the pain of being rejected. The pain of having loved ones say, No, I don't want you in my life. No, I don't agree with you. No, I don't... You know, I don't think you are in my family or my friend. You're my enemy, actually. Jesus knows what it means to be in poverty. To not know where the next meal is gonna come from, where your bread is gonna come from, where bread bread's gonna come from. He knows all of these things because he's walked the earth and he's experienced it. He's experienced it to the point that he was rejected, he was tortured, he was arrested, he was crucified. Amen? Amen. And yet, the miracle of the resurrection, the miracle of Easter is, and then, He rose again and Christ is risen and he's here with us saying, I understand you, but ultimately I have the power over death and everything that you're going through. I understand, but I have the power of victory and I have the end of the story, amen? We know how the story is going to end. We know that God is going to be victorious in the end so we can praise God through thick and thin, even when the sun isn't shining and it's winter in the northwest and it's raining for 90 days straight and you're like, ah, (laughs) can I just stop this gray cloudless in my life? Even then, we can praise Jesus because he's he's had victory over death. Are you with me, church? Carolyn Sharp writes, we are compelled to face the terrifying absence of God in the very midst of our singing. That's the risk of coming and singing and giving praise and worshiping God. That we run the terrifying risk that even as we cry out, we pray, we sing, we listen to the scriptures, we can run into the absence of God. Of course, we know that Really, God is an absence of reality, but we can experience His absence or His silence. Right? How many of you experience the silence or absence of God in your life? You're like, "Where are you, God?" No one. <laughs> <pissed me. laughs> Amen. Those desert periods. Um, so this is Psalm 30. It's a psalm, uh, and it says a song. The, the superscript says a song, a song. For the dedication of the temple of David. And if you know anything about the Old Testament. You know that. Yes the, the temple of David. Which is the promise that God gave to David. But actually it was Solomon. David's son. After. Uh, who actually built the temple. Not David. it was The temple came after David's life. And so. We can actually place this song Sometime. During. Um, when the after the Babylonian exile, and when the people of Israel are coming back before the rebuilding of the second temple. So anyways, that's all, that's all to say that it's a prophetic voice looking back to the time of David saying, this is my song towards the dedication of the temple. So we can probably place this uh, at the building of the second temple, which is when the people of Israel come back uh, from captivity. And there's a remnant. And all the prophets, all the books, talk about how the people are rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding their kind of worship, rebuilding the church, rebuilding their worship of God. And so this psalm is a dedication for the opening of that temple. And when I say temple, I think we can say, oh, church, right? We can put church in in our context, to put church in there, this worshiping community, this worshiping body. How would, And when we listen to someone dedicating the opening of a temple, it's good to listen. like Because when you listen to that dedication, you kind of take on, oh, this is the purpose of the temple. This is why the temple is here. And when we listen to the psalmist dedicate this song to the temple, we realize that one of the most important elements of the temple is praise of God, right? the Verse 1, I will exalt... You, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. So we see here the first part of the rhythms and the cycles in this liturgy, in this piece of worship. That verses 1 through 3, the psalmist is crying out for help. And God rescued the psalmist. God healed the psalmist. God saved the psalmist. And so, the writer of this psalm will exult, will praise. I will worship you, God, because I cried out when I was down in the dumps, and you helped me. I was in the hospital, and you healed me. People were gossiping out to get me, and you saved me. I felt like I was going into the pit. And you lifted me up. You lifted me up. And so I will exalt you. But then there's a turn in verses 4 through 5. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The psalmist turns from himself to turn to the people and exhort the people. And because I've experienced this, you too should sing praises to the Lord in this temple. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. And let me tell you, I've experienced this, so I can tell you to do this. His anger only lasts for a moment. But he's going to you're going to be in his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So I want to give you another uh, chapter from my hot yoga saga. <laughs> During Easter, or last week, I shared how I've been doing hot yoga. And being a Korean, uh, and Koreans like to believe that nothing good comes up unless you're suffering. Right? So, you know, unless I'm feeling pain, I'm not growing. Right? So instead of normal yoga, I chose hot yoga in 105 degrees, right? To do yoga, but to do it in like desert heat where you're sweating and you want to quit and you want to give up. And so this yesterday I went and the sessions are an hour. And to yesterday's session, seemed like it was 120 degrees. I swear. Usually if it's 105, I thought I was going to die. And I only brought one water bottle, a small one. So 45 minutes into it, I was all out of the water. And I was like trying to get every drop. And they're like, ding, ding. and and one of the rules is you can't leave the room. I mean, of course you're gonna allow for emergencies and they can't hold anyone, right? It's a free country. I can walk out if I want to. But that's like the etiquette. Don't walk, stay in the room the whole time. And there was like five minutes left. And I literally felt like I was gonna throw up. Like I thought I was going to just all over the place. And that wouldn't have been good, right? And I was like, there's only five minutes left, but you know, every they were still doing their stretching and their moves and I was just laying down because if you're tired you can just lay down or be in a restful position and I was just oh, I can't do it. So I left the room. I left the room and got water and all that stuff and after that, people were coming back and they're kind of giving me the glare. <laughs> At least that's my interpretation. People are really nice, and they probably understood. And they they're probably glad I didn't throw up in the yoga room before coming out and, and came out. And so, when I felt so much shame. Like, oh, I've given up. You know, I, I couldn't hack it, right? I rang the bell. I wouldn't make <laughs> the Navy SEALs. You know, I'm a quitter. I'm weak. All of these things. You know, suffering only lasts for a moment, but God's love and salvation last for a lifetime. And that's the point. The psalmist making in four and five. You're you're gonna weep for the night, right? But joy is gonna come, and joy is everlasting. Amen. Amen. And so in our worship and praise, there's also an encouragement, an emboldenment to be like, hold on. When we praise God, it's disciplining us and building endurance in our souls to hold on. It's only, right, you can make it through this time, this trial, this suffering. Hold on because I am here and I am coming. And this is the cycle of the people of God. This is a cycle in the rhythms of our feet. We go through seasons where, man, I just want to quit. The heat is just too much. I just want to throw up spiritually. Whatever it is. It hurts too bad. Where are you, God? That only lasts for a moment. But God's salvation and his favor last for a lifetime. And rejoicing will come in the morning. Amen. Amen. Then in verses 6 through 7, there's a shift to another season in the life of the writer, the psalmist. There was a time when the psalmist clearly prospered when he felt secure, when he was experiencing the Lord's favor. It says he was put on top of the Royal mountain and made to stand firm by the Lord. When I felt secure, I said, I will never feel shaken. I will never be shaken. When the Lord favored me, I was on the mountaintop and I was standing firm. But then you hid your face and I was dismayed. Right? When we're doing well, we forget God, right? When we're doing well, we feel like nothing can go wrong. I feel confident. I can do anything I want. And that cockiness and that swagger goes by like, I'm doing good. money, I got a new car, right? I got new friends coming here and there, life is looking good, nothing can stop me, and I do this all because I'm so smart, right, I'm so cool, and I'm really good at what I do, and this is why good things are happening, and we look down at other people, right, good things are happening to you because you're lazy, or you're, you're not, you don't got right hard, right? And do it for themselves. When we're doing well, we forget about those crying nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we forget that we were on our knees, saying, God help me, please. Right? Because it's so easy for that. Yeah, I got this. I'm secure to come in. <laughs> but then it says, you hid your face, and I was dismayed. Mm. And we see that Things can go be going well, but we can still feel empty. Right? We can be secure, but we can still be dismayed because we're not experiencing God's presence in our life. Amen. Yeah. And that's what the psalmist is saying. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. Hmm. Everything was going well, but I could not hear you, I could not see you. And then we have the next part, 8 through 10. And so. The cycle comes back around. And so, once again, like in like in the first two verses, the psalmist cries out, To you, Lord, I call, cry, call. To the Lord, I cry for mercy. What is gained if I'm silent? If I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Help me once again, we have this period of crying out to the Lord. But this crying out was not in a desperate need for healing or rescue. It comes in prosperity and security. But yet God was silent and absent. So worship, again, becomes crying out and pleading. But this time, from God's very presence. A raw crying out and challenging of God. And you may think this crying out is irreverent or disrespectful, but this, too, is faith. In fact, this is the center of faith, is this conscious dependence on God and His deliverance and His presence. Yes. I think this is why Jesus said it's hard for rich, the rich to go to the kingdom of heaven, and it'd be easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for the rich to go to the kingdom of heaven. Because at least for the poor they can look at their lack, we can look at our lack and our circumstances and say, we need you God. But the temptation for the rich, whether it's rich in resources or rich in spirit is that there are so many other things yeah. that we can rely on than yeah. God and yeah. God's faithfulness. And so we have a uh, glasses that keep us from seeing our need. But to cry out irreverently, and maybe in in rawness, to cry out disrespectfully in the sanctuary, this too is faith. This is the core of worship. So we turn to 11 and twelve. you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. God has turned my mourning into dancing again. Mm -hmm. And the response of the faithful, the response of the follower, when God has turned your mourning into dancing, is this, a commitment to seeing God's praises and not being silent and praising God forever. That's worship is how we respond to God's faithfulness in our lives. We respond, not with silence, but we we respond with praising God forever. Um, And in fact, praise is a response when we're not experiencing God as well. That's what it means to be faithful. It's to praise, to praise, to praise, through thick and thin, through good times and bad we are called to pray and cry out Your sickness and health. Our hearts sings God's praises in the temple. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Remember that this song comes, is a dedication to the temple. The opening of a new temple. The place where the people of God gather to worship. And in this dedication is a recognition that though the journey may be full of happiness and mourning, successes and failures, good and bad, pleasure and pain, Though our emotions may go through seasonal changes and up and down roller coaster rhythms we are to praise god in the sanctuary our lips will have uh our lips will lift up god in the community and this is why we can be real right this is why we don't just show up to church when we're happy and doing well right we can show up to church when we're not doing well and the community It's supposed to come around that. And God is big enough. God's people is big enough. God's church is big enough to encompass lament, suffering, joy, excitement, all at the same time. Right? Some of us are having a hard time in this room. Some of us are not in this room right now because we're experiencing hard times. Some of us are like, I'm doing great. This is like the best time of my life. I'm doing well. And that's great. God has blessed us. And we can have all of that range of experience and emotion in the worship, in our worship. And we can come and weep with with one another and at the same time we can come and celebrate with one another. Come as you are. Mm -hmm. Be authentic. Be real with God. That's the point of the Psalms. That's the point of art. That's the point of a lot of things that are oftentimes excluded from the church, mm. right? Because it's too raw or it's not happy enough. Mm. But oftentimes when we idolize triumphalism in the church, right? triumphalism is everything is good, we celebrate, right? Victory, victory, we miss out On the margins or the dark places where people are suffering, where there's lament. We don't lament. We don't see the injustices in the world, the things that aren't going right. And in that way, we say, if you are experiencing those things, actually, you're on the outside of the church. But Jesus flips the script on that. He said, let the children come, let the sick come, mm. let everyone come to me. Amen. Let me take your burdens. This is the place for you. This is a safe and holy place. This church, this temple. So be where you are. Be as you are. Yes. And in that place that you are, praise God. Praise God when He's invisible. Praise God when He's good. Praise God when He's faithful. Amen.